Welcome to The Real Game, a podcast by coaches for coaches. I am your host, Matt Philbrick. Welcome to this episode of The Real Game. I am joined today by a special guest. His name is Nick Fuller. Nick, it's good to have you on the show today. Uh, I'll I'll let you introduce yourself here briefly in just a moment. I have been wanting to have somebody in the world of sports psychology on the show. As you know, I haven't had the opportunity to do so yet. I did a quick Google search and Nick's Nick's name came up. Uh, Nick is located not too far from us here in central Pennsylvania. Um, I'm super interested to hear Nick and and his piece of kind of how he relates to the world of sports and athletes and and helping athletes cope with different things that they're dealing with. Um, as a coach myself, there are questions that I have about, you know, the psychology of sports and helping kids uh, over mental hurdles and things like that. So, Nick, it's great to have you on here. Nick has a, actually has a website. Uh, it's called the tactical mind LLC.com. So if you want to check that out, the tactical mind LLC.com. Nick, tell us a little bit about yourself. Just introduce yourself here a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your your journey into this world, kind of how you started and and what you're doing now. Yeah. Uh thanks for having me on. I uh I am in central PA, like you said. I'm in a small town called Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh the, I think the closest landmark would be State College, about 45 minutes uh west of west of here uh by trade and training i'm a sports psychology consultant so what that means uh i think we can all know the the word psychology uh helping work with with the with the with the mind and the brain and then we add sport in front of it so all day every day all i do is i work with athletes helping them on the mental and the emotional side of the game Uh, i always say i think coaches do a phenomenal job of training the physical and the technical side Mm -hmm. uh and if we want to be a holistic athlete I really think we need to bring all four things together where it's not just the physical and the technical side, but it's also the mental and the emotional side as well. And so, like I said, all day, every day, all I do is I work with athletes, helping them uh, get a better handle on the mental side of performance. And so uh, I'm the director of sports psych at, at two different universities up here. One's a D one school and one's a smaller D three school. And then uh, besides that, I work with uh top level athletes from all over the country on the Olympic level, the professional side, uh, a lot of high school kids looking to make it to the next level, uh, et cetera. So that's kind of a, I mean, a nutshell. Yeah, that sounds, sounds super interesting. Um, can you provide us with just an overview of, of the role of a sports psychologist and how they contribute to athlete performance and well-being? Yeah. When, when we look at, the, the mental side of sports and how it contributes to a, to a, to the well-being. <clears throat> I, I think it's huge. When I talk to athletes, like I said, I talk to athletes all day, every day, and it's amazing. The things that go on in their minds when, when they take the field, sure. How our mind can set us up for success or how it can set us up for failure. Mm-hmm. And if our mind setting us up for failure, we typically don't have a lot of tools right. to, to help us overcome it. You know, mm-hmm. when I talk to athletes, they'll say, you know, I talked to my parents beforehand 
and they'll say, Hey, just don't worry about it. It's only a sport. <laughs> yep. I, I see you smile a little bit. So yep. I'm going to guess that you can probably empathize with those students, those athletes in those moments where sure. Yeah. Hearing that it sounds great. Yeah. But it's probably not going to help them perform any better when they just say, don't worry about it. It's only a sport. Right. Right. Oh, geez. Yep. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> sounds so, so easy, uh, right? Yeah, it seems so easy. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of my biggest philosophies in the sports like world is it's easier said than done. When we look at the pillars of mental toughness, I think it's confidence. I think it's resetting after mistakes. I think it's handling pressure well. It's motivation. And all of that stuff is very easy to say, go out and do. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit harder to actually put into practice for some people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's fun. It's it's funny that you mentioned some of those things. I've, I've I deal with you know obviously those things on and off. This year, I feel like I coach high school basketball, and one of the things that we've had to work through it seems like this year more than ever is kids getting down after making mistakes or hanging their head after making a mistake. How do you react after that? You know, I'm not a sports psychologist, so I can't you know maybe interpret the mind like you can. I do see how it affects them, though, and I see how it doesn't just affect them. It affects the team when a kid makes a mistake and he's not able uh, mentally and emotionally to move on from that quickly. It can obviously affect everything about his game. So uh, I'm glad that that's something that you're addressing, something that you're helping kids deal with. Uh, I think it's a huge thing. Yeah. To add on to that real quick, you said you're a basketball coach, right? Correct. Yes. One of the things that uh, I, I hear all the time with basketball players is like, you know, before the game starts, their confidence is, is doing well. They, they feel good. And then the game starts, they get the ball, they take their first shot, and it doesn't go in. Right. Yep. And right then and there, for a lot of people, and maybe the first shot, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but not for every athlete, but the first shot doesn't go in. And then all of a sudden, they get a little bit more quiet, and they're mm-hmm. not calling for the ball, or they're not taking the shot. But especially if the second shot they take doesn't go in, then that's when they really change as an athlete. Yeah. Uh, yep. And and they they stop they stop taking the shots. Even when they're open and they have the shot, they're like, no, you you take it. I don't want to make the mistake. Yeah. Uh, sure. So it's all about resetting from mistakes in an efficient way. And so you know, doing it for yourself and not waiting for the to get taken out of the game and reset by a conversation with a coach or something along those lines. Right. And I think oftentimes athletes will be what I call an outcome thinker. And they go up or down based on the outcome. If they go, mm-hmm. if the shot goes in, they're like, oh my God, look at me. I'm, I'm the best. Yep. Yep. If they go down, it's like, oh man, what was I? That was so awful. How I just hurt the team so bad. <laughs> and yeah, they're just thinking so about right. the outcome and that just sends your self-esteem on a roller coaster. Sure. So it's like, how do we move away from just focusing on the outcome of the shot? Yep. Yep. No, that's great. That's a, that's a good point. Um, it's uh, it, like you said, basketball is such a, it's such a roller coaster of emotions because you know it's it's every play is something different. Uh, every play has the opportunity for failure or the opportunity for success, um, and that can really that can really send a kid, I think, on a on an emotional roller coaster if they're not prepared to handle that. Um, so sure. that's great. That's a great point. Uh, moving on to the next question: What's the importance of mental preparation and resilience in sports, and how do you help athletes develop these qualities? So as coaches, you know, I can help them prepare physically. I can help them prepare and they, so that they know plays and, and all that stuff. But what is what is your role in helping, you know, how important is mental preparation? Yeah. 
when I hear the question, my mind immediately jumps to the other word, which you use, which is resilience. Sure. Right. And you have to do, you, you can't just hope to be resilient. I think you have to do the, you have to front load it before the game even starts. And if we do that, then that's mental preparation. And when I think of resilience, I kind of think if I was building a re- like a, a recipe of resilience, the characteristics that I see are self-awareness. So it's being aware of what is the narrative that's forming in my mind on a given in a given moment. Is that narrative setting me up for success or is it trying to tear me down? And I think sometimes we are running up and down the field with a narrative that we're not even aware of that's being lodged, that's being sent out from, from our mind in some moment. So it's being aware yeah. of what is the narrative that's formed in our mind in any given moment. Once we have that self-awareness, then we can use self-regulation and we can regulate those negative emotions. So if we feel like we have too much anxiety going into a performance, can we regulate that anxiety? Because, you know, I think some anxiety, that's okay. Like if, if we're looking at a scale of one to 10, 10 being the worst, a three out of 10. Okay. Mm-hmm. You notice it's there. It's maybe a little uncomfortable, but you can still work through it. Right. But then sometimes it starts going up to an eight, nine, 10 out of 10. And that's when it gets to be really detrimental for athletes right. and teaching those athletes, the, the skills to regulate from an eight to a five or to a three. I would much rather be at a four out of 10 rather than an eight out of 10. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's self-regulation, then it's optimism, having a belief that you have control over the situation and that things can work out for the best and having that optimism bleed in a leadership style, uh, because who would you rather follow the person who's like, Hey, everybody, we can, we can get out there. I know we're down right now, but we can come back from this. If we just stick together, we work together or would you rather follow the person who's like, shoot, the top, the clock's going down a little bit right now. Yeah. It's not looking in, in our favor. Who right. would you rather be on a team with? Sure. And I'm sure who would you rather coach with the people who are generally optimistic or the people who are a little bit more pessimistic. Um, yeah. So I think there's a few other characteristics that lead to resilience, but I think those are the first three that have to be done to have that mental preparation to be resilient and bounce back from adversity. We have to have self-awareness, self-regulation and optimism. Okay. And a couple of the, couple of things you said there kind of lead me into my next question. You mentioned, uh, you know, an athlete's anxiety level and how it can rise and fall. How do you address performance anxiety and pressure in athletes? And there's there's a lot of it. And it seems like these days, maybe more than ever, um, especially in high stakes situation. How do you help athletes work through that? Sure. So I think when we experience pressure, we can experience it in two kinds of ways. We can experience it physiologically, where our, our heart's starting to pound a lot. Uh, it feels like it's trying to jump out of our chest. Uh, we can get the butterflies or maybe we feel like we have to go to the bathroom a lot. Uh we can experience pressure in that sense. And we can also experience it cognitively or mentally. And I think we have to start addressing pressure from the mental side first, uh, because I'm a big believer in that uh, whatever's happening mentally is going to affect our physiology at the same time. Absolutely. So yeah. uh, if, we're, if we're trying to address that, that mental part first, I think there, there's something in our brain that, that I've kind of termed like hidden missions and these hidden missions will just kind of sneak in the back door and they will add unnecessary pressure when they sneak in the back door of our mind and they'll just be sitting on our mind and a hidden mission might sound like this. You have to be perfect today. You have to prove yourself. Uh, you can't let the team down. And all of a sudden, if that's our why, 
for why we're playing this game. Do you think that's going to be beneficial to alleviate pressure or probably sure. just add more pressure? And I can't yeah. tell you the number of athletes. You know, if we talked about like the, the eight-year-old for why are you playing this sport? Their answer is not going to be to be perfect or to mm-hmm. prove themselves or to not let their team down. Yeah. But all of a sudden when we come 13, 14, 15 years old, this is the narrative that can form in our, in our minds. You have to be perfect. And when that narrative is front and center in our mind, that hidden mission is right there. That's just going to add so much unnecessary pressure. And then all of a sudden, we're going to feel more tight. We're going to feel our heart starting to jump a little bit more. We're going to feel those butterflies. Sure. Uh, and then, you know, there's there's things that we can do from a physiological level. Like, you know, I think the first thing that a coach or a parent would say when they see their their athlete starting to get a little uh, uh, get, getting, getting uh, affected by the pressure, mm-hmm. they say, hey, take a deep breath. Right. And so uh, uh, taking a deep breath is wonderful to alleviate the physiological aspects of pressure. But I think we have to first know what is the narrative that's going through our brain. And if we have one of those hidden missions and then taking the right kind of tactical breath. So down into your belly to kind of turn down that fight or flight response. Okay. That's very interesting. And you you mentioned, uh, you know, athletes when they when they get to be 13, 14, 15. So that's kind of transitioning from middle school to high school. Do you think that pressure is self-imposed or do you think they start to feel that more externally at that age from parents, coaches, fans? Where do you think that comes from? So I think around the age, uh, so it differs for every person, but uh, the way that we explain the world to ourselves really takes a drastic change from, it's very different from the ages of five to 10. Mm-hmm. to 10 to 15 we start explaining the world very differently to ourselves and unfortunately as we start explaining the world and how it works we're very prone to falling into what what the psychology world would call cognitive distortions or what we could just call errors in our thinking and when we have these errors in our thinking we might start thinking that you know every problem that the team encounters is my fault and so if we constantly think that everything, every problem that the team encounters is going to be my fault, mm-hmm. then yeah, we were pro- going to be, be more prone to thinking like, I have to be perfect. So I don't sure. let this team down. Yeah. Um, but it's all about how there's a shift at around age 10, 11, where we start explaining the world more uh, differently to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the bigger reason. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Um. In your experience, if you view an athlete, if you see an athlete that has a complete winning mindset, what are some of the key psychological factors or benchmarks that are present there in those athletes? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as you were talking about that question, I was thinking back to some of the, the athletes that I work with who are mm-hmm. who are all Americans either at the high school level or the collegiate level, and. So I'm, I'm just I'm going to answer that question anecdotally, just from okay. the, yeah. the things that I see from the the athletes who maybe want to get a starting spot on the team mm-hmm. versus the athletes who are trying to be the best in the country. Okay. Uh, and so when we look at that kind of winning mindset, the first thing that comes to my mind is they have a complete emphasis on the team. Okay. Every single top level athlete, and you know when we when we watch Sports Center. And and you see the post game interviews. Yep. 
I used to always think like, oh, they're just being media trained mm-hmm. <laughs> to talk about how important it is to 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 have success for the team. Right. right. But then I start talking to these athletes one on one. And I go, oh, my goodness, like, no, they really are just so team centered. They're mm-hmm. they're moving away from the eye and moving to the team. Now, sometimes I work with it athletes who are on the individual side. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so that's a little bit different, but for those, those athletes on the team side, it's all about the team and it's all about knowing that I can control how good there's no limit to how good I can be. They, they have no doubt that, Hey, if I continue to, to work hard, get the right coaching, put the right effort in, mm-hmm. I can continuously grow my abilities. So they have this belief that like their, their potential is unknown at this point and they can just continually stretch it. Uh, I would say some of the athletes that I've worked with who are top level, they had the physical skills, but then maybe, you know, I'm thinking about two or three off the top of my head where even though they were really great, they just had negative beliefs about themselves Mm. and their beliefs sometimes are like, Oh, I wasn't as good as I was last year. Yeah. And then they start comparing themselves negatively to who they were last year. Sure. And that really puts a hole in their confidence. So Mm -hmm. if you can take somebody who already has such amazing physical skill, but then change their belief around. And it's not as easy as just saying, oh, pick a new belief. But it's you really have to do some surgery Mm -hmm. on this ineffective belief of I'm not as good as I once was. And then update it to be something more, more effective. That's like, hey, you know what? The door is open for me to be great. And all of a sudden, if you can operate from that belief mm-hmm. opposed to I'm not as good as I once was, that's huge. Uh, yeah. So I think having the determination, having the effort, having the the belief that you can con- continuously grow your skill uh, and having the team focus, those are just some characteristics that come to my mind right away. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a great observation. Um, are, there, are there any specific um, mental health challenges that are unique to just athletes? that you see that maybe athletes struggle more with these things than people who aren't, you know, athletes. When we look at the research, so uh, the, the the biggest mental health concerns facing kids right now, teens, but it, it also goes up to adults as well, anxiety and depression, right? And, mm-hmm. and these are clinical levels of anxiety and depression where there's a you can, you, you can diagnose it and not, you're not just saying like, oh, I feel, I feel anxious, but it's like clinical anxiety, clinical depression. Yeah. When we look at the research uh, between athletes and non-athlete populations, it's about the same. Uh, so athletes don't experience depression or anxiety more so than uh, the, the regular population. The one thing that probably does increase a little bit, and this is more on the female side, but it's uh, eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Eating disorders are a little bit more common in in female athletes than, uh, uh, I don't want to say the regular population, but, uh, non-athletes. Uh, and, and that makes sense. If you look at different sports, whether it be uh, a track sport or a gymnastics, uh, uh, athlete or swimming and diving sometimes, um, because there's constantly an, whether it's right or wrong, there's a focus sometimes on the appearance. Right. And, that that uh so i i think anxiety depression normal levels athletes non-athletes eating disorders that goes up a little bit for for female athletes okay okay as a coach i always want to try to 
instill mental toughness in my players, but I've always kind of had this, this uh, idea that as a coach, there isn't a lot that I can do to make my athletes mentally tough. Like, you know, I can make them physically tough and I can make them play a hundred percent and I can, I can get them into peak physical condition and all that stuff. But it seems like, at least to me, you know, it's, it might just be a generational thing, but that athletes now lack the mental toughness that athletes 20 years ago had. And that just might be a perception on my, on my part, but do you find that to be true and how can coaches uh, overcome that hurdle and instill mental toughness in their own athletes? Yeah. Great question. And I, I feel like this is probably the question that I hear the most. Yeah. It's like, Oh, the, the kids are, aren't as tough as they were back in my day. Right. 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 I, I, I hear that. I hear that a lot. Uh, and I think I'll answer this through the lens of like what the research is saying uh, okay. rather than anecdotally. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's important. So, and I'm going to break down mental toughness and mental health in, in two categories. Okay. So when we look at mental health, anxiety, depression, I'll use those because those are like the, the big two that, that are the most common. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there is a significant increase in mental health concerns in teenagers nowadays than there were say in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, actually it, if you look at the, the reason why it's not because of uh, how coaches are coaching nowadays or anything like that. Honestly, it, it's very much cell phone based and social media based. Yeah. Uh, the data is super, super clear that that is the largest contributor to the increase in mental health concerns in teenagers Mm. nowadays i think from 2010 to 2011 the diagnosable depression rates in teens has gone up three times as much wow yeah from and if you think about it what happened in 2010 that's when social media really got Mm. going in our culture and that's when most high school kids got cell phones sure. uh, yep. that had the access to those apps. Uh, so yes, I will agree fullheartedly that from a clinical mental health side, kids are struggling more today than they were, which I'm just making up a time frame, but in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to mental toughness, I honestly don't think that holds weight though. Uh, and I'm just going to look at myself first. Uh, I'm 35, uh, 20 years ago, I was on the lacrosse field yep. and I didn't have anxiety, depression, but I had a crippling lack of self-confidence yep. on the field. Mm-hmm. And if I went up to my coach and I said, coach, man, I'm really struggling with my confidence first. I don't even think I would go up to my coach yeah. and say that. Yeah. But, but B, if I did say that, you know what I feel like my coach would tell me? Yeah. He'd be like, Nick. I know exactly what you should do. I'm like, coach, tell me, tell me all. I, I'm, I'm all ears. I need to know. And he go, you see that hill over there? Go run that hill 20 times and that will build confidence. <laughs> and so I'd go yep. do it and I'd be running that hill. I'm like, I don't feel, I don't feel yeah. any more confident than I was. Right. right. Um, and, you know, I, I get the opportunity to work with so many elite level high school athletes. and. I can honestly say, I don't think there's an absence in mental toughness and okay. in, in a lot of athletes. Mm-hmm. Now, there 
as a coach, I'm sure you can agree that there are probably some kids who don't have as much of that that mental toughness as some other kids. Sure. Yeah. But I'm sure if we look back 20 years ago, you would find something very similar. You would find some kids who really just excel with resetting after mistakes and handling mm-hmm. the pressure. Yeah. And having the, uh, a belief in themselves that that's effective. But you'd also find a handful who are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think it's just, again, this is my my perspective, but I think also they just think it's it's generational to like be like, ah, oh, the kids, the kids these days. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. They're not is. as they're not as strong as I was. Yep. Like I remember being in a fraternity in uh in college and when I was a junior senior when the when the new fledges would come in and be like, ah, these kids aren't these kids aren't as strong as we were back <laughs> in the day. Like yeah. that was just two years different. Right. But I just think it's fun to do. Like for some reason human nature likes to dog the younger generation. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Uh but then so the other question is like, how do you instill mental toughness? Yeah. Right. And I, I think that the best way it's, it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. It, but you have to work on an individual level. Okay. And you have to know what from a coach, how can I, if you see a kid struggling a little bit on that mental toughness side, mm-hmm. you have to work with them individually and have a conversation, like be proactive and have a conversation with them and say like, Hey, what do you, for you to develop more confidence because here's how the conversation normally goes in and uh if, if a coach is running an end of season evaluate like that's usually when an athlete has one-on-one time with the coach right at the yep. end of year meeting and the coach will say i hear this all the time from from the athletes i work with you know the coach just told me i have to be more confident but that, that was the one thing they told me to 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 work on on the off season have yeah. more confidence yeah and it's like and that's usually where the conversation ends. Yeah. How do you, how, how, right? Like, yeah, how do you do that. How, what, what is a kid supposed to do with that information? If a coach is just going to tell them that and then walk away from that comment, how does a kid process that? And what's that look like, you know, in their mind? Absolutely. And you, and you know what the, the worst part is how many times do you feel like that coach or that kid has heard that same advice over the last four or five years? Sure. Hey, yep. Ricky, you would be so good. You all you, we just need you to be a little bit more confident. Mm-hmm. He's probably heard that seven, eight different times in the last five years. Yeah. So now it's just, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy to him in those moments. Like, oh, I'm just, I'm the kid who doesn't have confidence. Yeah. And nobody's yeah. telling me how to develop more of it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's asking them like, hey, what do I, what can I do to help you mm-hmm. develop more confidence? Or what do you need from me? And maybe they'll say, hey, you know what? I just, I, I need, and I, I give these kids a lot of credit when they say, but you know, a lot of times what really helps is just like when my coach says, oh my goodness, Ricky, I've seen how much effort you're putting in. Mm-hmm. We're so impressed with how much effort you're putting in. And it really paid off on this last drill. When I saw yeah. you, how you did, how you made this cut and how you, how you faked out the defender. Yeah. That yeah. goes such a long way for, because it then it's not just putting the onus on them to develop confidence, mm-hmm. but one of the biggest sources of confidence comes from persuasion from other people. Yeah. And it, when it can be done the right way, when it's not just saying, Hey, great job, Ricky, but you're naming the strategy that they invoke the effort that they put in or the skill that they've been developing. When you make your, your praise effective, right. That really right. can go a long way. So it, it's, I, I, if I had one message, it would be to have coaches not just say, Hey, 
you're doing everything great. We just need you to be more confident. It's getting yeah. to know them a little bit more. Yeah. Hearing why they struggle with confidence a little, let, let them engage in a dialogue with you. Yeah. Uh, and, and then see what they need from the coach and mm-hmm. also try to use more of that persuasion that, that you're able to give through effective praise. Do you think there's a difference between like, like I'll just use myself as, as an example. If I were to tell a kid, like you, like you mentioned a couple of times, Hey, just, just be more confident. You know, you need to be more confident, but not really give them the tools to do that. As opposed to me saying to them, just go out and play with confidence and don't worry about what the result is. Um, I want my guys to be, I want my guys to play with confidence and not worry that I might get upset if they make a mistake or I might get upset if they miss a shot or, you know, a kid that lives in a perpetual place of worry that they're going to disappoint their coach is a bad is to me, it's a bad place to be. So I might say to my guys, just play, play with confidence. Like, don't worry about messing up. You're the best that you can be right now. You're getting better. You're improving. Um, Is that different than, than just saying to them, be more confident and leaving it at that. Uh, I, I I love that phrase. The only thing I would I would make sure that you want to double check on is that are your actions backing those mm-hmm. words up? Sure. Yep. Because I hear it all the time from the athletes that I work with. My coaches say we're okay with failure. Failure means you're growing. Failure mm-hmm. means you're learning. Right. So like sometimes they'll the coaches will say say those words, but then the athletes to me will say, but then they don't back it up. So then I feel yep. that that pressure to not make a mistake or you know, my eyes, as soon as I make the mistake, my eyes almost subconsciously drift over <laughs> to see what the coach is doing and right. how he's reacting. Yeah. And so I think that's great what you're saying. If your actions back that up. Yep. Uh, Cause then if they don't, I think you then lose trust with that sure. athlete. Cause they say they're saying one thing, but then their actions are doing something completely different. Right. So right. I think for coaches are just taking a little bit of uh, self-awareness check-in and saying, are my actions supporting what I'm saying to my kids? Yeah, I I completely agree with that, and I think that's one. That's probably one area that I fail in the most as a coach is letting my trying to communicate to my athletes that mistakes are okay, but but then having the look on my face when they make a mistake be that of it really is okay, like you're fine, it's good. Instead of mm, man, I'm just you know get caught up in the heat of the moment, and I wish he hadn't have done that. Is difficult as a coach. But it is a great reminder from you that if we're going to say that, we definitely need to back that up with especially how we react to certain mm-hmm. situations. And sometimes how you react, it might it, it might just be because you're like, oh, that was so close. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But for that 13 year old, when he sub when his eyes subconsciously look right over to you. Yeah. And we already talked about how they, they when they start explaining how the world works on themselves, they can start taking every ambiguous situation as this is my fault yeah and you see coach reacting that way he's gonna get he's gonna get get a little bit more reserved in those moments or sure. his confidence might be wavering a little bit so yeah. it's it's definitely trying to to check those reactions and yeah. figure out what is how do i best back up that statement with my actions right and we could probably spend a whole episode talk, just talking about body language <laughs> and body language, not just in athletes, but in coaches, you know, uh, the, the tremendous communication potential that body language has um, is a huge thing. So, um, 
anything else you want to you want to leave us here with Nick today? This has been a great episode. It's been super informative and super relevant. Um, any just parting words of advice before we close things up? Uh, I, I I wish I had something top of mind. Uh, I, I, I don't think I have any. I don't think I have anything at the top uh, at the moment. But uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, yep. And uh, I, I appreciate what you're doing with uh, with spreading the word on on sports psych. And because again, like 20 years ago, I would have loved to go talk to somebody. Yeah. Uh, to help me with with what I identified as that crippling level of self confidence. Uh, and so uh, I, I'm glad the sport's growing, and I'm glad there's people like you who are, uh, or th- this field's growing, and I'm glad there's people like you trying to spread the word on uh, on athlete mental health. I appreciate that. And if anybody wants to reach out to Nick, again, his website is the tactical mind LLC.com. It's Nick Fuller. Nick, thanks for being on with us today. I appreciate it. Maybe we can have you back on here at a future date sometime. I would love that. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Real Game. In one of his comments, Nick referred to top-tier athletes today as being team-centered. So I'd like to leave you with this quote today by Coach Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots. And the quote is this, Mental toughness is doing the right thing for the team when it's not the best thing for you. So good luck, coaches, and coach on.